Awesome. So, hey, if you're new around here, maybe you're going, okay, what's going on? Uh, like, that's the senior pastor. We are a multi-site church, and so um, we actually have 13 campuses at South Hills. Eight of them are in Southern California, and then we have three international campuses, two in Africa and uh, one in Puerto Rico. And we are one of the—we're the only campus in the U.S. not in California. Uh, so we were the first one to kind of move out of um, that cursed state and uh, come to the promised land. And so, uh, and <clears throat> so, so many amazing things happening at all of our campuses, uh, which is super cool. You know, they, he's, you saw in there, 47 people got baptized this month at all of our campuses. What's really cool is eight of them got baptized right here at our campus, um, and, uh, which is amazing. And um, one little caveat I do need to add. So um, I received this video on Thursday, did not preview it until late Friday. Um, and uh, then I also learned, started doing some digging. I also learned um, that there was a slight reporting glitch uh, on Saturday from our attendance reporting last week. So our kids got duplicated in the, so they didn't know that when they made this video. So we didn't actually hit 200 last week. Um, and so, but we're not telling them that. I'm just telling you that. Um, <clears throat> so Actually, last week was our largest Sunday, with the exception of Easter, since we launched. Our church is right at a year old, uh, which is really amazing. And so uh, we almost hit 200. We didn't quite get there because we double-counted kids. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It was such a huge Sunday. Thanks for being here. Uh, and this is a perfect time for you to kind of be getting connected to our church. Uh, like I said, just being you know, a year old and getting, you know, getting going, coming out of the pandemic and all that stuff, we're just kind of getting our arms around us, uh, around things. And so uh, it's a perfect time for you to get connected. So thanks for being here. Um, so today is week five of Family Month, and uh, we're going to be tying it up this morning. And uh, before we dive into the scriptures, though, like I, I was thinking, um, you may have missed it <clears throat> the last few weeks. Uh, if you're on social media, you probably have seen it. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But social media a few couple weeks ago was kind of flooded with people posting about a new meme. And, and the meme actually involves uh, an emoji that most of us probably have never really used before. And the emoji was the red flag. And so Twitter feeds, Instagram posts, Facebook timelines were blowing up with people posting red flags and not just one red flag, but a series of red flags uh, along with statements and scenarios and situations of warning sign worthy behavior. And so it started out kind of as a meme for people who are in the dating scene, kind of posting like warning signs when you're dating. Um, but then it sort of just took off and evolved from there. And so people started kind of just posting sort of, you know, red flag scenarios. And uh, some of them were pretty funny. I thought I pulled them off and thought I'd share a little bit with you. And so one guy posted this, uh, when his fashion game is on point, but he ain't got no car. So that was kind of a dating one. Uh, if he rolls up to pick you up and he's got on like $500 Yeezys, but he's on a bike, that is a red flag, all right? Uh, this one, I, I just, this one made me laugh every time is I'm, I'm more of a cat person. Um, and honestly, I am more of a cat person and, and I'm a little offended, but also that's funny. Uh, there's this one that was pretty good. Green bubbles on the text. That is a red flag. Don't be offended. Just do the right thing and get an iPhone, all right? Do the right thing. Androids, get them out of here. Uh, and then finally, Dunkin' Donuts posted this for all the, f the coffee fans. Uh, I don't drink coffee. That is a red, look at how many red flags. That is a lot of red flags. 
But as funny as some of those posts have been, the truth is we've all had those moments, right? Times where we've been in conversation with someone and they're talking and we're like, oh my goodness. Like we notice something or they say something and we're like, that is a red flag. You look down and they're wearing Crocs. You're like, red flag? Um, or they got like a fanny pack on. You're like, what is this, 1992? Like, come on, or they got the Crocs and the fanny pack, just run away. Don't just end the conversation right in the middle. But something like we've had those experiences where something they say or do grabs our attention and it's as if an alarm kind of goes off in your head, like telling you like something is off with this person. Maybe they're not quite as normal as you thought they were. And so you need to get away. You need to run away or at least kind of keep your distance. And I know this is, you know, we're having some fun and this is just a meme, but I think sometimes memes actually kind of capture a bit uh, and give us a clear picture. They capture kind of a slice into humanity, especially in our culture, because you've probably noticed this, especially if you spend any time at all on social media or ever watch the news or take in any news. Our culture, like we live in a red flag culture. We live in a culture that's obsessed with finding the flaws in other people. We look at companies and systems and people And we so easily jump to, oh, yep, there it is, red flag. That's what's wrong. That's that's where you messed up. That's where you went wrong. That's where you need to fix. That's what you that the that's the problem with you. That's why I'm not talking to you. That's why I don't do business. Like we live in a culture that's obsessed with that. And part of the reason I think we do it is because we don't actually want to address the red flags that we have in our own lives. The crazy thing is, is that people don't. We usually don't actually talk to the person or the business or the organization that they're calling out. They just complain and post about them, kind of throw up all over social media and they talk to everybody else, but that person. And and you can like see that thing and like, oh, that thing actually happened to you. And you're like, oh, what are you gonna do about it? And they're like, probably nothing. I'm just gonna keep posting about it. Like, I'm not gonna actually talk to them. I'm not gonna actually do anything. I'm just gonna go back to complaining, which is really super annoying. But the truth is, is like, if we stop and think about it, we can probably all think of a time when we've been guilty of doing that, where, where we were critical, where we saw something, we kind of jumped on it, we complained. Like we, the great irony in all of it is that while we're all sort of barking at and about people that we barely know, about all the things that we don't like that they're doing, or many of the things that, like, that, that are annoying, most of us have a very hard time actually just speaking up at all when it comes to people that are close to us. Now, don't get me wrong, in our relationships, we don't have any problem complaining about all the things that the people that we're close to, that they do, that that are annoying, but we usually don't complain to them or we don't talk to them. We complain about them to other people. Like we don't, did you talk to them? No, I didn't say anything to them. Why are you talking to me? Right? But the reason we do that is because being vulnerable and telling someone how we feel and how their behavior impacted us or is affecting us, like we're just like, nah, don't have time for that. The problem is in our relationships is you can't hide who you really are forever. You can't hide how you really feel forever. Eventually all that frustration, all that angst, maybe even that pain and anger, it's all gotta go somewhere. And the longer that we hold it in, usually the more destructive and explosive and unpredictable it is when it comes out. And the truth is, and it's kind of embarrassing for us to admit, but for most of us, we often struggle with, the, with like basic communication of how we want to be treated in our most significant relationships. And most of the time, it's for a good reason. Most of the time, it's because, well, we love them and we don't want to hurt them or we don't want to offend them or we don't want them to think that we're being mean or selfish or rude. And so we just keep quiet. Well, at least with them, we keep quiet. And for some reason, this 
this idea feels, if you're a follower of Jesus, or you're a Christian, or you're a church person, it feels like it, almost it's like it's a little trickier even because, well, we're just supposed to love and accept people, right? And, and I mean, Jesus let himself get crucified and he didn't speak up. Like, so what's a little suffering or a little misery in our relationships? And maybe the craziest part of all of it is that the people that we have the hardest time clearly communicating our needs to is our family. It's the people that we love the most, the people that are closest to us. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, maybe in your family of origin, maybe your family growing up, maybe in your family right now, where you're just like, I could never say that to my mom. Or I don't, I don't know if you know my dad. I mean, my, dad, my dad's not really the kind of person you say no to. Or like, I know like my family's a little pushy, they're a little nosy, but family's kind of supposed to be up in each other's business, right? Like that's what a family does. Or that thing that you just can't get to or you don't want to go to and you're just like, everybody's going, I can't not go. I can't just opt out. Like you're going to get all the, the guilty looks and you're going to get all the, the angry emails and texts and stuff. Or, or just like, look, there's just certain things we don't talk about in our family. That's just how our family is. And so we get stuck in these patterns and in our relationships and in our families and people end up feeling trapped and taken advantage of and we start resenting people that we love. And the truth is often the greatest source of our frustration with other people actually comes with, from frustration with ourselves for not setting and enforcing clear and healthy boundaries. And so rather than be honest with ourselves and take ownership over that, which is way, we'd rather just blame them and attack them and kind of rage out at them for being, you know, rigid and selfish. And setting boundaries is something that we actually talk a lot about in our church when it comes to relationships. And the truth is, it's kind of a buzzword that gets thrown around in our culture a lot. But when you like listen to people talk about it, when you listen to what people, you know, and the conversations around it, it seems like very few people actually know what it means or how to do it. And so I wanted to spend some time here on our last Sunday of family month, actually talking about it because it, it's one of the most profound things that can happen in our relationships. See, at its core, a boundary simply creates a clear picture of your wants, needs, and limits. And it cues in and clues in other people on how to interact with you, how to have a relationship with you. Now, the question I think at this stage is, why would we talk about this in church? Why would this matter? Like why, why have a whole Sunday where we're gonna dive into this? And the truth is, is because Jesus didn't come just so we could go to heaven after we die. That's part of it. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says he came to bring us life and life to the full. He came to bring us the best life we could possibly have while we're living. And so the scriptures are full of incredible truths, incredible insights to actually help us learn and grow and get better at life and get better at relationships and learn how to be healthy in, in the, the, the people with the relationships that are closest to us and how to treat other people around us. And, and your relationships will only be as healthy as you are. And so I think it, kind of makes sense that we would take some time and talk about how to do this, what it looks like, why it's challenging. When you look at the scriptures, the life of Jesus and his followers have all kinds of moments that we can look at and learn from. And so I want to take you to one. It's found in the book of Acts. In uh, Acts chapter 13, we're going to read one verse. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory, and then we're going to um, jump to Acts chapter 15 and find out why this verse or how the fallout from this verse. So Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 13, it says this. It says, Paul and his companions, they left 
a town called Paphos by ship and went to Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Pretty innocuous, pretty run of the mill, not that big a deal. So after Jesus himself was gone, the apostle Paul emerges in the New Testament as kind of the key figure in the movement of Jesus. And he leads, eventually he leads a group of leaders and disciples who travel all over the world, the known world, all over the Mediterranean rim, planting churches, starting churches, spreading the message of Jesus. And the book of Acts actually tells us a lot of their stories. And that's actually in Acts chapter 13, what's happening. Paul and a group of men, a group of people are traveling around planting churches. And in this story, something happens. And it's such a small detail. It's easy to kind of skim over it. Again, it was just, it seemed almost incidental. It was kind of an innocuous verse. We don't know why. We don't know what happened. But one of the crew, one of the guys that was in that party, John Mark, something happens. And he decides right in the middle of their mission, right in the middle of everything they're doing, I'm out. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to Jerusalem which seems like no big deal, right? Wrong. Look at what happens next. A couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 15. So it says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Uh Uh-oh, red flag. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So this description is of John Mark leaving is very different from what we just read a second ago. They sound very different. In chapter 13, it's like there's a neutral narrator that's just telling us what happened. They were traveling. John Mark decided he was going back to Jerusalem. The end. In chapter 15, though, now we're getting like, like some nitty-gritty details of how that decision impacted at least one of the people in the group, the Apostle Paul. And so we get Paul, actually, the emotions of what happened. We get Paul saying like, look, I don't want that guy going with us this time because he deserted us last time. When I read that this week and I, I was wrestling through like all of these thoughts, I thought, wait a minute, this is the Apostle Paul. Is it even okay for him to not want to be around another person? Like, he's just like, I can't be around you right now. Especially like, much less a Christian. Like, this is a guy that like, he'd been working with. Aren't we supposed to just love people? I mean, Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I actually think that's kind of an important part of this conversation is because you can only love your neighbor to the extent that you have learned to love yourself. You cannot give other people what you are unable or unwilling to give yourself. So what does that look like? And here's what I'm, you're gonna see in just a second. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. These are verses that if you've ever been to a wedding, they might've been in your wedding. They get said at almost every wedding. Um, I just did a wedding on Friday and I tried not to use these verses, but I still use these verses. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verses four to seven. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's how love behaves, okay? So here's my question for you. Is that an accurate description of how you talk to 
and treat and respond to yourself. Because the point of creating and building boundaries is creating enough space in your relationship that enables where you can actually learn to love yourself the way that God intended for you to love yourself so that you are healthy enough to in turn love other people the way he created you to love other people. But if you don't have the ability to love yourself, you will not love other people in a healthy way. And so if that's the case, how do we know that we're reaching the point of being unable to love other people? How do we know that we're reaching the point where we're being unable to love ourselves effectively? How do we know when it's time to draw a boundary? Well, here's a few practical ways. There's a whole, probably a whole bunch of ways you can kind of evaluate your life. The first one is this. I just kind of jotted down a few. If you don't take the time or you don't have the energy to take care of yourself, or you don't ever do anything that you enjoy, you have boundary issues, my friend. If you regularly resent people for how much they expect from you, you have a boundary issue. If you're regularly overwhelmed by everything you have to get done, there might be an area where you have a boundary that you need to draw. If you avoid certain people and certain situations, so you do not have to address them. You probably have a situation where you maybe need to address that boundary. See, these are not universal. This is not, we all have times where those things are true of us. But if this is happening to you over and over and over again in the same part of your life, I mean, think about your life, think about your relationships, be honest. Do any of those things describe you regularly? If so, and I think they'd probably hit most of us at some point. This conversation is for you. It's for me. See, a good test of any relationship is how a person responds to the word no. Because love actually respects no. But control doesn't. Control freaks out. Control's like, why aren't you doing how why why don't why aren't you doing what I wanted you to do? Why why can't you respond this way? But love doesn't manipulate or bully or punish them or try to get its way. Love actually respects. No. And then that, this is the good news, right? Because none of us are victims. We don't actually have to keep living this way in our families. We don't have to keep living this way in our relationships. We can actually begin to move forward. We're often tempted to think, well, this is just the way I am. There's nothing we can do. This is just the way things are in our marriage, or this is just the way things are going to be in our family. But it's not true. For things to change, though, you're going to have to change some things, which is not easy. It's a little bit scary. It feels risky. And, but the truth is it's not impossible. And, and when, I, when I read the story of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, and I, I think all of the tension of all of this stuff that we're talking about was present in that moment. I think Paul was feeling some of these same things because John Mark did what he did. And for that, he, now Paul doesn't trust him. And he knows if he doesn't say something and they go out again and they're all out again, he might end up in a situation where he doesn't want to be in it. He's going to end up in a situation where he's uncomfortable, where he can't be at his best and do what he does. By the way, you don't actually have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations just to prove that you can handle them. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You can actually just step back and create some space. So what happens when Paul speaks up? It all works out because it's the Bible. 
No, it doesn't. A few verses later in Acts 15, verse 39. Speaking of Paul and Barnabas, it says their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Now, sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, oh, that makes sense. But sometimes like we don't understand, like we don't realize these are real people and this is real life, right? And, and you know, Luke wrote the book of Acts and this is kind of understated, right? Because it's like, this is a really tense situation so much that there's, their disagreement was so sharp that they split and separated. And, and Luke is like, and then we entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And it's like, that doesn't really do us any favors, Luke, because this is not exactly like everything just worked out great. I don't think we actually get how huge it was that Paul and Barnabas split up. Like these guys, these guys were boys. They were OGs together long before there was a group of them traveling, long before there was a whole crew. It was just Paul and Barnabas. They were Batman and Robin. They were Buzz and Woody. They were Han Solo and Chewbacca. They were Scooby and Shaggy. They were a package. They had traveled together. They had worked together. They'd been through the wars together. They'd been shipwrecked together. They had struggled together. These guys were tight. They weren't just friends. They weren't just coworkers. They weren't just fellow believers. They were family. And now all of that is done because they can't agree on John Mark. Most of the time when we read stories like this, situations like this, we immediately start trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong, right? We, we think very, like everything's black and white. Everything's binary. There's good and bad, good and evil, black and white, right and wrong. But that's what, that, that's what makes relationships and conflict so complicated is near as I can tell, at least based on everything that we see in the story, nobody in this story is wrong. Both Barnabas and Paul's perspectives are valid. Their disagreement isn't about right and wrong as much as it's about wants and needs. Paul going, I'm, I, I'm not gonna go. Like, I can't, I don't wanna travel with that guy. And Barnabas is going, well, like, I, I'm not gonna travel without him. See, one of the hardest things for us to learn in our relationships is in healthy relationships, every person, both people, each person is responsible for their own feelings and attitudes and behaviors and choices. And there's a freedom that we release other people to be responsible and take accountability for those things for themselves. This is such a tough situation for both of them. Paul's like, I'm not going if he goes. And Barnabas is like, I'm not going if he doesn't. And they're both are like, well, I guess this is where we sort of split off and go our separate, separate ways, which is the problem we have, right? Is we don't like the discomfort of how they might respond when we express what we want. And so in order to avoid the sharp disagreement that they had, in order to avoid the pain and the potential distance between us and them, we just sort of ignore our feelings. We just ignore our needs and we just kind of stuff them down and silence them. And then we end up blaming them for being rigid and selfish. And we get passive aggressive and we take jabs at them. And we make little comments to them and we talk about them behind their back. But that's actually not what Paul does. Paul just says out straight up, like, I, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Let, let's, let's, let's figure something else. 
And, and maybe you're like me when you read that. Initially, you're like, yeah, he spoke up and look what happened. Why didn't you just let it go? Who cares that John Mark left in the middle of a trip? Why is that so wrong? Like near as we, t- like we don't know why he left. Like maybe he had a good reason. Even if he didn't have a good reason, even if it was kind of shady and he kind of abandoned them, it was, it was just one time. But here's why I think this is really, really important because in our relationships, problems aren't the problem. Everybody has problems. Every family has problems. Every, relation, every relationship has problems. Every person has problems. We're all a mess. But unaddressed problems become patterns. And patterns, patterns are the problem because patterns are destructive. Patterns are what kill trust. Patterns kill connection. Patterns kill intimacy. Patterns are a whole lot harder to resolve than problems because they have momentum and time and habit behind them. That's why it matters how you deal with problems when they come up. People around you may see you going, hey, here's a boundary I have is something that you're doing to them. But in reality, it's something that you're doing for both of you. And in the end, you can't control them and you can't control how they respond. And that is what makes all of this so uncomfortable. That's what makes it so uncomfortable to do the hard work, to move yourself towards health, to move your relationships towards being healthy. That's what makes it so hard to learn how to love yourself and love other people well is because you may do all of that and it still doesn't go well. It still doesn't go how you wanted it to. I'd love to be able to stand up here and tell you like, I've got all this figured out, but I don't. I've spent most of my life taking responsibility for other people's feelings and choices. I, by nature, am a conflict avoider. My parents split up when I was six and the role that I took on when I was a kid all the way growing up as a kid and into teenage years was when things were, went crazy and people were fighting and everything was tense, send Randy in. And he makes a joke and he sucks all the tension out of the room and puts everybody at ease and gets everything going back in a positive way. And there was a lot of incredible things that I learned that served me really, really well in my life as a result of that. I'm great at reading people. I'm great in almost any room. I'm great when things are awkward and tense. I'm good at reading rooms. I also learned how to just kind of like ignore and avoid conflict. And I grew up being just like Rodney King. Can't we all just get along, everybody? And so I would ignore my thoughts. I would ignore my feelings. I would ignore what I needed. And unfortunately, it didn't keep me from trying to control other people. I just became a master at being passive aggressive, which is just another way of saying manipulative. But I'm 47 and I've grown and I've slowly gotten healthier and I've slowly learned how to communicate even when it's difficult. See, this conversation is really personal for me because I've lived on both sides of it and it doesn't always go how you want it to go. Even when you do what's best, the worst case scenario can still happen. Right now, there are people right now today who I love very much who aren't really in my life at all because of boundaries that were drawn that they could not handle. 
And so they chose to leave the relationship altogether. That's painful. That sucks. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What's interesting is the apostle Paul wrote these words. I think it's helpful knowing that the guy who wrote these words was just going, if that dude goes, I can't go. Right? Like that, that's helpful for me because we have like, we have this sense that everybody in the Bible did everything perfect all the time. And it was just unicorns and cotton candy and rainbows, but it wasn't. Paul had all kinds of conflict in all kinds of different relationships. See, perfect isn't the goal. Healthy's the goal. Paul wasn't perfect. He was incredibly flawed. We actually get the sense that he was this super intense personality. Like he was a grinder and a hard chart. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm sure he would have been really, really difficult to, like he was super intense. I don't think he handled every situation perfectly. Like <clears throat> there's a story in the book of Acts where he's traveling around. He ends up at one of these places where he's visiting this church that he started with all of these believers. And they go up into this house. And they're in this second story, third story room. And he's got so much to say. He's missed them. Like he starts preaching and he preaches through the day and into the night. I mean, you guys think like 35 minutes on a Sunday listening to me. This dude's preaching all day and all night. And there's this dude that gets tired. He's sitting in a window and he falls asleep and he falls out the window and dies in the street. And everybody's like, <gasps> there's a lot of people who have fallen asleep in my sermons. Nobody's ever died yet. Woo, got one on Paul. Paul goes, don't worry. They all run out the room and the dude's laying and Paul runs over and jumps on top of him and prays for him. And the dude sits up and he's like, look, see, he's okay, everybody. Somebody get him something to eat. And they feed him and they go back inside and he keeps preaching. Like nothing happened. <laughs> so yeah, like he could be kind of a crazy <laughs> crazy person to deal with, which is comforting to me. And I think we read that verse and we like, we so easily go, we, we're so easily attracted to the, if it is possible part, because that really does let us know that there's some situations that doesn't matter how, what you do or how you behave. It's not possible to live at peace with that person. But we ignore the part where he says, as far as it depends on you, like that you have done that you've made every effort, that you've done everything you can do to make things right, to live in health, to be at peace with this person. See, we're not gonna do things perfectly. Paul didn't do them perfectly. We're not gonna do them perfectly either. But he was healthy. He was learning. He was growing. He loved and cared deeply for people. The truth is we don't actually find great relationships as much as we foster them. We build into them. And there's no way to foster a great relationship without building healthy boundaries. And there's no way to build healthy boundaries without some risk and some discomfort and maybe even some painful moments. But if we'll take the risk, if we'll do the work, everyone will benefit, even if it doesn't feel good in the moment. Let me show you what I mean. What happened to John Mark ultimately? Well, he began traveling and working with Barnabas after he did that for a while. He traveled and worked with the apostle Peter. He ultimately preached all over the world. And he was the first one to sit down and write down the story 
of the life of Jesus. See, John Mark was also known by another name, just plain old Mark. He was one of the original 12 disciples. And earlier, we read from the Gospel of Mark where he quoted Jesus telling us to love our neighbor, love our neighbor as ourselves. Same Mark. See, his experience with Paul in that Acts 15 moment, it didn't ruin his life. It didn't ruin his faith. And the great news is it didn't even ruin his relationship with Paul. In another letter that Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 11, Paul says this, Timothy, come as soon as you can. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come because I love that dude. He's going to be helpful. We make a good team. He's going to be helpful to me in ministry. Paul didn't blackball him. He wasn't like, you're dead to me. I'll never talk to you again. We'll never, you'll never work in this town. Like it was none of that. John Mark didn't cut him off. They both grew. Somehow, we don't know what happened between Acts 15 and you know, 2 Timothy 4, but John Mark clearly earned Paul's trust. They ended up working together again. And I think that it's important for us to understand. See, forgiveness is free. It's something that we give to each other, but trust has to be earned. And we trust people when there's reasons to trust them. But we all grow and change. And when we do, we can adjust our relationships and our boundaries accordingly. And sometimes it's that they change and sometimes it's that you change and sometimes it's that you both changed. And that's all good. Now, please don't hear me saying something I'm not. Every relationship requires sacrifice. Every relationship requires forgiveness. Every relationship has give and take. There is always, always, always a cost to loving someone else. But I want you to hear this. If the cost of loving that other person is your own mental and emotional well-being, if that's the price you're paying, that is not love. That's dysfunction. Because loving someone else will never cost you your own mental, emotional, spiritual health. There are times where it takes sacrifice. There are times where you take the hit. There's no doubt about that. If you're not bending, if you're not giving, if you're not sacrificing, you're not loving. I'm talking about ongoing, sustained cost. So when I was thinking about how we could tie this up, I was thinking about this is all good. I think it's all helpful. And if it's not helpful to you, at least it's helpful to me. It's good. Maybe I just had like a giant 35 minute self-therapy session. Hopefully it helped you, but I'm going to go away better. But I thought, is there something practical that we can kind of grab onto? And so I just thought, well, maybe, maybe the easiest, most practical thing like we could talk about at the end here is just like what it, what it looks like to, to create and communicate a boundary. And so, again, I don't know if this will be helpful to you. It's helpful to me. There's a million things we could talk about. I'm just going to give you three, two or three. Communicating a boundary is just as simple as this. I want this, I need this, or I expect this. I want, need, or expect blank. The end. There doesn't need to be commentary. doesn't need to be explanation. 
In fact, the more explanation you give, you give them points to argue with. It can just be, I want blank. I need blank. I expect blank. And for some of us, that's really challenging because we're not used to communicating what we need or want. Here's the bad news. That's the easiest part of this equation. Because once you say that, once you express it, once you tell them, once you draw that boundary, once you put it out there, you have to be willing to actually have some force behind it to enforce it. Because if you don't, it's not a boundary, it's just a wish. And it's okay. You, you can, it's okay to have hopes and be like, hey, I hope you would do this. That's a different thing, for sure. You should communicate that. I'm talking about something that you're like, no, I really, I really need you to do blank. And so what does enforcing it look like? If you can't or don't want to blank, well then blank, you, no, no, that's not what you say. You're just like, well, this will be the result. So again, to use our story, Paul's like, you can go home. It's totally cool. I'm not in control of your life. You go home. I'm not going on the next trip with you. You're not coming with me next time. It's not like, You're a terrible person. It's like, no, I needed you. You didn't do, you, you couldn't, for whatever reason, it's okay that you went home. You had your reasons. That just means this trip, we're not doing it together. By the way, like the enforcement piece, it's gotta be related to the boundary and kind of proportional. See, this, like, this isn't like about cutting people off who do things that you don't like or do things that you don't want them to do. Like most conversations I have with people in our culture, and you probably know what I'm talking about, most people, the only response to, a, to a, a boundary that's been violated is that they go nuclear every time. I drew this boundary, you cross it, you're dead to me. I'm gonna go tell everybody what a terrible person you are. You, how could you, how, how dare you, right? We just blow up the relationship and we just cut them off. But that, that's not what Paul does. In fact, Paul, it was just like, we're not going to go. We're not going to travel together for a while. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean that we don't have a relationship. It doesn't mean that we're not going to work together down the road. I, I, I've said this before, and I'm more convinced of it ever, than ever, is that we don't become more loving by trying to be more loving. John, one of Jesus' other disciples, he wrote in 1 John that we love because we've been loved. That we love God because he first loved us. That we love each other. That this is how we know what love is, Jesus. We become more loving by being more loved. By stepping into relationship with love itself and learning how to let him love us. Learning how to love ourselves, to let go of our baggage our pains and our insecurities and learn how to love the people that he's entrusted to us to cherish and to love. We don't become more loving by just trying harder. We become more loving by tapping in and living in relationship with the source of love. We learn how to love ourselves. We learn how to love others when we let God's love begin to flood into our soul. Let's pray together.